Right, our sermon passage today is from Hebrews chapter 13. It's Hebrews chapter 13 from verse 1 through verse 6. And the author writes, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained <coughs> angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? So now our Father and our God... Very simply, we ask you to speak your word to us. Wherever we entered this room today, I pray you would cause us to have more love for Christ, more desire for his kingdom, and more willingness to walk with him than we had when we walked in today. Don't let any of us leave here unchanged. This would be my prayer as we look at this passage together. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for being here. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Um, Here at Redeemer, we work our way through books of the Bible. And so today we're gonna continue our our look at these first six verses, which which Spencer just read for us. Um, Over the last four weeks, we've been working our way through these six verses and I got an email from one of you on, on Monday morning that said, that was very um, wise of you to plan to preach about money two days after Black Friday. And I just responded and said, thank you, but I got some news for you guys. If you think that I can plan that far ahead and hit the bullseye, then you don't know me very well. So I didn't plan this, so maybe that means God did. We'll just go with that. But either way, today we're going to talk about money, particularly what stuff does to us and how that matters to Jesus. So I'm sure you're all glad that you're here now. Welcome. Very seriously, we're going to look particularly at verses 5 and 6 of the passage which was just read for us. And what we're going to see this morning is that our relationship to, the, to things of this, to material things, our relationship to material things matters to God and matters for our joy and matters for our witness in the world. Our relationship to material things matters to God, matters for our joy and matters for our witness to the world. As I shared last week, one of my professors from college about this passage wrote, beds and bankrolls cannot be separated from theology. This is where the reality of our relationship with God is manifested. And what he's saying is our relationship to stuff is a barometer of our heart toward God. 
And I think what's in particular view in this passage is not so much how much we have or how little we have, and not even so much what we do with what we have, as what we have, what what we have does to us. So as we think about living for God's kingdom, today we're going to talk about stuff, money, possessions, earthly things. So the question would be, is that really what the passage is saying? And so let's look at it together. Hebrews 13, one through six, where we've been camped out, I am arguing, and I think I'm correct in arguing. If not, I'm four weeks wrong, so we're just gonna go with the fact that I'm right. But that it is a, a practical application of verses 28 and 29 at the end of chapter 12. And so the first point, if you're a note taker, is kingdom, life, and love. What the author of Hebrews is talking about is the kingdom of God. He's talking about the work that Jesus came to build. And to make this as simple as I can, what the scripture tells us is that Jesus is building a kingdom. He's the king. The king receives the glory. The king receives the worship. The king receives the service. And the king is good to his people. Jesus is the king. And everyone who belongs to Christ, everyone who has come to this place of, of turning away from sin, turning away from self, turning away from self-seeking, and turning to Christ saying, I need forgiveness, I need mercy, I need grace. The scripture says that person is redeemed. The scripture says that person is saved. The scripture says that person is transferred from darkness and into light. And in this passage, the scripture says that person has been given a place in the kingdom. We belong in the kingdom forever. So verse 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. So look closely at that. In Christ we have received a kingdom and it cannot be shaken, which means it will last forevermore. So what if I told you, just earthly speaking, you could belong to a kingdom under a king who would reign forever and he promises to be good to his people forevermore and nothing can take away his blessing toward his people. And so my burden today as we talk about the kingdom is that we see it as a kingdom of grace. My fear when we slow down so long and look at commands and imperatives is that, that our minds automatically start to think in terms of performance. Our minds automatically start to think in terms of, I need to do this so that God will give me blank. I need to do this so that God will love me. I need to do this so that God will be happy. I need to do this so that God will give me blessing. But the reality of the scripture is God's blessing of God's son to come into God's kingdom is a gift for which we can do nothing. It's a kingdom of grace. So he says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom. It was given to us. If we're in Christ, we've been given a place in the kingdom and it cannot be shaken. It will last forever. So if you're here today kind of exploring Christianity, the goal of this sermon is not for you to give more money to the church. You'll know we've already passed those baskets and we're not going to pass them again today. 
The goal of this sermon is not some kind of giving campaign. The goal of this sermon is not so much even for you to, to take a stewardship class or to The goal of the sermon is to realize that there's a better way to live. And the better way to live is for the kingdom. It's a kingdom of grace. And so then there's two ways to hear all these imperatives. Let brotherly love continue. That's chapter 13, verse 1. We could hear that as go love one another because God wants you to love one another. And if you do that, you can become a Christian. God will be happier with you. Fill in the blank. Or the better way to read it is, Jesus has redeemed you. He's taken away your sin. He's given you his grace. You belong to his kingdom. And guess what? You don't belong to his kingdom alone. You belong to his kingdom with millions of other people. So learn to love one another because of the love you've received from Jesus. Do it. It's the better way to live. And we can do the same with showing hospitality and remembering those who are in prison and letting marriage be held in honor and today keeping our life free from the love of money. The the, the purpose of this kingdom living idea is that walking in the kingdom is a gift and walking in the kingdom is better. To do these things is actually a gracious gift because to do these things is to experience the kingdom now. And so I want you to hear this message as a message of grace. And if you're here today far from Christ, I want you to hear this message as an invitation to meet Jesus, to have your sins forgiven, to be brought into a kingdom that will last forever, and to learn that we don't have to be defined by what we have or don't have because all we need is Christ. And so then, as citizens of the kingdom of grace, verse 13, 1 through 6, are what it looks like to live as citizens. It's what acceptable worship with reverence and awe looks like. And so there are five, so the second point, if you're a note taker, five loves, five dispositions of the heart, five postures of what it looks like to live for the kingdom. Number one, in verse one, love God's people. Number two, in verse two, love strangers. Number three, in verse three, if all Bible study worked out this way, it'd be awesome. Love suffering brothers. Number four, in verse four, hold mar- love marriage. And then number five, in verse five, love contentment. Or don't love money. Or be content. But this passage is going to move into our relationship to material things. And really what it's saying is our relationship to material things can either shape us in a negative way where where we find our hope and our identity and our joy in the stuff that we possess in such a way that we're almost possessed by it, or we'll find our hope and our identity in Christ, Christ's promises, Christ's presence, and Christ's care for us, no matter what we have. So what this passage says 
is that God is the giver of all things. But the love of things often interrupts our love for God. The passage is going to tell us that God is the giver of all things, but often our love for things interrupts or affects our love for God. That's what we're going to see in these two verses today. So let's look at them together. And just by way of entry, I think this passage has as much to say to poor people as it does rich people. I think this passage has as much to say about people with an abundance of stuff as it does to people without much stuff. The question before us is not how much stuff that we have. The question before us is how much of a hold over us does our stuff have? So we'll see that together here. But I know the human heart. I know the evangelical disposition is was when I read, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. You immediately think of the wealthiest person you know at this church and you think, I hope God speaks to them today. But I'm actually telling you that God's speaking to me and he's speaking to you and he's speaking to all of us. We don't get off that easily. So, There's a command in verse five. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. So what is laid out for us here in in verse five, I think is kind of two sides of a coin. One side of the coin is love money. And it says, be free of loving money. The other side of the coin is, okay, what does it look like then to be free of loving money? And the other side of the coin is to be content with what you have. So there's a don't be something. Don't love money. Don't put your hope and your trust and your satisfaction and your identity in the stuff that you possess. Okay, well, if, if that's what I'm told not to do, then what does the positive look like? It looks like being content with what God has given you. Okay, so these are two sides of one coin. So the passage says, keep your life free from the love of money. Now note this, friends. It doesn't say keep your life free from money. It says keep your life free from the love of money. I frankly think it's an impossibility to keep your life free from money because if we do away with the dollar, then we'll trade gold. And then if you do away with gold, then we'll trade something else. And if you do away with something else, we'll trade something else, all the way down to just trading goods and services. But either way, there's a currency of stuff and a currency of possessions. And we have to have food and we have to have houses. And so the passage isn't saying be free from money. It's, it's kind of accepting money as an inevitability, inevitability. And it's calling on us to have an appropriate relationship to it. Keep your life free from the love of money. So the love of money would be clinging to stuff as if, if, as if it is everything to you. So perhaps you're all thinking of Scrooge McDuck. Y'all know Scrooge McDuck, right? The, the mythical cartoon character who sits in piles of his own money. And you're like, well, I don't do that. Let's keep going. Well, okay, great. We don't sit in piles of our money because we keep it in the bank. But what about all the stuff that money affords us? I think that's in view as well. Our cars, 
our computers, your favorite gadget that you order from Amazon on Black Friday, your job and the status that it affords you, your house and your neighborhood and the status and the satisfaction that they afford you, the perfect little life that we put together for our kids where they never have to struggle or be without, that is purchased with our money. I think all of those things are in view. And the passage says, keep your life free from money. And I think it's fair to say, and all the the stuff that money affords you, don't love them more than you ought. Our stuff are merely tools to be used to live as citizens of the kingdom and nothing more. Now this, my friends, is not one of these black and white sermons where you can go innocent, guilty. It's all the shades of gray in between. So the question for you today is not, do I love my money, but where and how? Look, I am really excited about something I ordered on Thursday. It's gonna be on my front porch when I get home. I kind of want to just stop preaching and go home right now. I'm excited. And I don't think I'm sinning to tell you that. But the question is, how much of my soul satisfaction is in that stuff? That's the question that this passage is inviting us to. So if you're listening through the yes, no, black, white lens of either I do or I don't, put that one down, put on the gray lens that says, where am I loving my stuff too much? Where am I finding my hope and my identity and my peace and my stuff too much? Show me, Lord. Okay? Now, I know what Christians do with these type messages. We go the other way. And so we go down this path of, well, then the safest thing to do is just to get rid of everything. Just be poor. Just be poor for Jesus. Hatred of money is also a form of love. Hatred of stuff is also a form of love because we're finding our identity and our hope and our security in what we don't have. And that, I would argue, is a form of love of money to which the passage says, be free from it. Our hope is in Christ, not in what we have or don't have. Why would he give such a command? Because to be free from the love of money is to be liberated from the judging mechanisms of the world. And Christ came to liberate us from all such things. I'm not sure that I can love my possessions more than everything and sacrificially live for the kingdom of Jesus. To live for my stuff more than I live for anything else is a form of debilitating imprisonment. Because if I lose it, I will feel like I've lost everything. So as a, as, a, as a gift of grace and as a gift of blessing, the passage says, keep your life free from the love of money. Okay, so if I want to be free from the love of money, what does that look like? It looks like finding contentment in what God has given you. Be content with what you have. Be content with what you have. Contentment means to be settled, to be at peace, to be at home, to be rested, to find comfort in the idea of I have what God wants me to have and I'm gonna be at peace with that and I'm gonna use it 
for his glory. So you know, here's the crazy thing I see about this whole relationship with money. People that don't have any, they want a whole bunch of it. And that's not contentment. And people that have a whole bunch of it tend to feel like they need less and, and, and guilty about what they have. That too is not contentment. The passage says, be content with what you have. So the goal for us is a joyful contentment in what God has given us. Not a lusting after more or a lusting after less. Not a lusting after what others have or what others don't have, but a contentment with what God has given you. If you just lost your job, as painful as that is, and I don't want to be minimizing there, then the Lord has seen fit for you to be in this window and the call of the kingdom is to find contentment in God even without a job. And if the Lord just doubled your salary, then the Lord has seen fit to put you in a place where you may double what you did last year and the call of the kingdom is to find contentment in that place that still loves God more than all the new things you raise affords you. So the calling of the passage is to find a contentment in God that transcends what we have. Some of us have much. Some of us have medium. Some of us have little. Some of us have nothing. But the call of the passage is to find contentment in where God has placed us and what God has given us. One of the most helpful things I've ever heard kind of moving down this path toward contentment. Um, there's some distant relatives of mine and they're kind of Cajun people um, and really good cooks from a Cajun background. And so I always loved going to their house because the food was always awesome. And um, my whole life, every time you went to their house, you had a feast, a delightful feast. And um, physically, they were kind of very large people. And um, so I didn't see them for four or five years. And in their 80s, in their 80-year-old, 80 to 90 window, I saw them for the first time in like three or four years. And they were both like half, physically half the person they used to be. Like they had lost tons of weight. And you usually don't see 80-year-olds like joining the gym and being like, I'm going to drop 30 this year. Like that's usually not the 85-year-old the New Year's resolution. So I just asked, I was like, what happened here? And she looked at me without blinking and she said, we learned to eat to live instead of living to eat. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I need that. I'm a preacher. Everything's a future sermon material. Slow down. She said, we learned to eat to live instead of living to eat. I need to write that down. Never knew where I was going to use it until today. I'm going to use it right here. Contentment is learning to, to see the stuff you have to be enjoyed for this life and not as what you live for. That's what this passage is inviting us to. So what, what does that life of contentment look like? I think a nice biblical churchy word for this life of contentment in the material realm is stewardship. It's stewardship. Stewardship simply means 
taking what God has given us, receiving it as a blessing, and utilizing it in this world to love God and love others and love his kingdom however he leads us. That's what stewardship is. And so I would argue that the size of your bank account is only reflective of the size of the stewardship that the Lord's calling you to. And so if you've got a ton, great. Love God more than your ton and serve him and serve others and bear fruit. And if you barely know where your next meal is going to come from, love God, pray to him, and serve him with what he's given you more than you long for more stuff. That's the invitation of this passage. And I believe that, that the argument of the kingdom is this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's not to restrict us, but it's to free us. We don't have to be defined by these things. We don't have to be defined by these things. My worth in this world is not defined by my paycheck, by my title, by how much money I make, by how big my house is, by how clean my house is, by who cleans my house, by who doesn't clean my house. It's not defined by any of those things. It's defined by Jesus. And that's what matters. And so church, as we try to figure out what it looks like to find contentment, and keep our lives free from the love of money, I'd really encourage us to be gracious with one another, to be compassionate with one another, to be filled with prayer for one another. This is what the passage is calling us to. So perhaps you're sitting there, you're going, okay, so here's what you've told me so far, man. Keep my life free from love of money, find contentment, but I don't like either one of those. How do I, get, like, where does, that, where does that contentment come from? Where can I find this contentment? I'm glad you asked because the passage goes on. So if you're one to write in your Bible, I would encourage you to highlight the word for, F-O-R. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for. This is a preposition that's gonna give us the basis of the whole thing. For he has said. So God's spoken and he's spoken two things. One, And by the way, these two things are not intended to be churchy throwaways. They're intended to be the two legs of a life of confidence in God. Number one, he has said, quoting from Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And number two, quoting from Psalm 118.6, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So get get what he gives you. The Lord is always with his people. I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Lord is always present and active for his people. And number two, The Lord is always helping his people. So do you get the two legs of his promise? The Lord's always with his people. The Lord's always helping his people. And that becomes the basis of saying, I can be content with where the Lord has placed me because he is always with his people and he's always helping his people. And I don't have to fear what's gonna come today. Now, if you're sitting there going, that's way broader than just money, 
amen it is. But the author of Hebrews is taking it and he's applying it directly to our possessions. Keep in mind, most scholars believe, and I would argue based on chapter 10, that the recipients of this letter are likely suffering for the cause of Jesus and likely suffering in financial and material and possession type ways for the cause of Jesus. And he says, be content with what you have because even in losing everything for the Lord, he's not gonna leave you and he's gonna help you and he's gonna be with you and he's gonna walk with you and care for you. This is the invitation of the kingdom. The Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. The Lord is our helper. What do we need to fear? What can man do to us? This is the bedrock undergirding of this command. We keep our life free from the love of stuff and we find contentment with where we are because of our relationship to the Lord. Okay, that sounds really good, but I don't feel that. Okay, okay, thank you for your honesty. Now, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle with these promises. Our faith is strengthened by the promises of God. Our hope is built upon the promises of of God. Wrestle with the promises and ask that the contentment would come. This is where we begin. Now, I remember eight and a half years ago when Redeemer started. Um, if you're our guest today, my family and about Eight other families were a part of launching this church about eight and a half years ago. And, you know, that meant on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, there was like four people there. Because, you know, people travel and whatnot. And I just remember wrestling with the, just over and over and over with that, this question of what if the whole thing just falls apart? Like just what if, like what if it just falls apart? And if I'm honest, even today, like I realize it might take like four Sundays for the whole thing to fall apart instead of one. But, but in my deke, deepest and darkest hours, I still wrestle with, what if it all falls apart? What if this whole church thing just falls apart? So I was talking to my mentor about that. And in a very uplifting way, uplifting, he said, I'll tell you what, just go ahead and assume it's all gonna fall apart. Now, can you be content in God and his mercy and his grace and his love and his goodness even if it all went away? So, you're welcome. I give you the question. But if you woke up tomorrow morning and all you had was the bed you were laying on, a Bible, few loved ones and a church family that you still come on that morning and sing blessed be the name of the Lord blessed be your holy name if you want to know how to gauge your heart and your relationship to your stuff there you go what if the Lord saw fit to take it all away 
So now tomorrow morning when you wake up and he hasn't taken it all away, it's a blessing. It's a gift. Love him more than the gift and use it for his kingdom as long as he sees fit to give it to you. That's freeing, isn't it? That's freeing. If you're here today, you're not a follower of Christ. Or even wondering who these crazy Christian people are. And you probably think we're really crazy now after this sermon. I just want to invite you to something. God sent his only son to the world. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. To live and die and rise again to build a kingdom that would last forever. And in that kingdom stands this promise that he'll never leave his children nor forsake them. And he'll always work for them. No matter what we face. So dear friend who's far from Jesus or wrestling with Jesus or wrestling with the call of faith, those things that keep you up at night, he promises to be there with you. He promises to walk with you. He promises to help you. Would you come to him today? That's the invitation. He lived and died to take away our sin and to pour his love and his grace and his mercy out on us forevermore. You can know him like that today. You can. So uh, worship team, if you guys would go ahead and come up. At this time, as we do each week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And in taking the bread and the cup, here's what we're saying. By faith, I have Christ. I'm a part of his kingdom. I'll be content in him. If you're a follower of Jesus, one who's turned away from your sin and turned to follow him and made that known to the church, we'd invite you to take this bread and cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, we'd ask you to let the bread and the cup pass, not to exclude you from this, but because that's just an honest way to say, I don't know what I think about Jesus. And an honest way to say, I don't know what I think about the kingdom. And I would ask you today, do you want to know him? I would love to talk with you after this service to help you figure out what it looks like to know him. So these guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. We're going to sing together. I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.